So how do you create an energizing transformation when you're exhausted, you've got no drive, no goals, and your wife has already transformed through coaching? My name is Glenn Lovelace, and that's what I'm here to help you do. Welcome to the One Day, One Life podcast. All right, you guys, uh, welcome to the One Day, One Life podcast, The Art of Transformation Stacking. This is Glenn Lovelace, and you guys know we preach it all the time here, progress creates happiness. And a big part of what motivates me is making your goal my goal. So um, I know I use this, this idea a lot that progress in your health is one of the best bridges to building success in all of the other areas of your life. So today we're going to build on that. Um, I have a really special treat for you guys. It's an unbelievable treat for me, and I know it will be for you guys too. So um, we're going to talk about um, transformations, of course. And my guest today has probably had a hundred transformations of her own, (laughs) right? Like, And I mean that for herself tens of thousands for her friends. And I want to dive into what these other examples are today. So no matter where you're at in your journey, um, I want you to kind of listen for how this applies to you in any way. So uh, my guest, despite being you know, bullied, humiliated, and shamed as a kid, she's lost over 100 pounds. So Um, I know studying her and reading about her back in 2005, she just flipped the switch. Okay. We talk about flipping the switch all the time, but the hard part, you guys, is overcoming that roller coaster, the ups and the downs and the gains and bringing it all back. And my guess has kept it off for over 15 years. So um, since dropping the, the big 100, she has done all kinds of crazy stuff. So let me just share a few things with you guys. Um, over 500,000 people, mostly gals have taken her free course, right? So there are, uh, there's over 10,000 active women in her group today, all over the world. And her program is called private. Well, it's a private group and it's no BS weight loss program. Right. So today I want to dive into, you know, how she got started. I know there's no secrets to this, but She's been wildly successful. Like, uh, you know, they call it the eight figure coaching business, 33 million podcast downloads. Um, Unbelievable gal. So, uh, a few of the things as I uh, turn the mic over to her, a few of my favorite things that um, this gal says is is stop wasting your time. Life is too short. Um, I don't know if she uses these words, but the roller coaster of losing weight and gaining it back. Um, I connect with her on the idea that there are no good or bad foods. I think that's really, really important. Um, keep it simple. And I love her mission to teach every woman, woman, not just a few, but every woman how to lose weight and feel as amazing as she deserves. So whether you've got the last uh, 10 to 20 nagging pounds or you're in that 
triple figure situation. Um, this gal's the gal for you. So here we go, guys. Uh, the real deal. Southern bell. <laughs> no BS success coach. Corinne Crabtree. How are you today? I'm doing good. Thank you so much for having me. This is oh. a, this is a treat. I rarely get to talk to the dudes. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I'm finding that a lot. I have, uh, recently kind of found a big lag between all these powerful gals who are transforming their lives. And I really want to reach out to the other half. Mm-hmm. You know, I've, I've uh, noticed in my own life as my, my wife transformed that there wasn't really a disconnect for us, but there is another relationships, but I noticed that she matured in her ability to argue and hold space and really show up. And she was always this passionate dynamite, hard to handle gal, which put me into my, my dark places. And now I'm so grateful for that. But uh, yeah, there's a huge need to talk to dudes and, and get this figured out. So. Yeah. I was just recently, I was actually just talking to someone earlier today about this, that um, one of the things that I'm super passionate about right now is, you know, my focus will be women. My membership will be women, but men are underserved. Like men are the next, um, group that's showing high increases in body dysmorphia, high increases in eating disorders. Like, I think that women, we've always thought of a lot of like, like weight issues and not feeling good about yourself and um, all that stuff was like a feminine issue. It is, it is a man's issue. It's just, no one's talking about it and they're not getting enough help and they don't know it's normal and they don't have like, I mean, I think about all of us who are, I call it the walking wounded of emotions. Most of us don't get taught how to deal with our emotions and stuff, but especially men don't, you know, there's a stigma around all that. So I think it's important topics. Well, and I, I know my own childhood, I can look back at, uh, you know, how I was raised, who raised me, and even just my own perception of things could be wrong. But that all that being said, when I got married, I didn't know how to feel. I didn't know how to communicate how I felt. My broad range of emotions was like seven of them. Mm-hmm. So my vocabulary was very limited. And, you know, I think this is a really good transition into perhaps even the lies of the diet industry as a whole, the quick fix, um, the things that you and I talk about probably all the time, but serving the men, serving the gals, coming together and helping each other. I mean, I think that's probably where we're headed today. So, um, you know, again, thanks for, for coming on. I, uh, I'm excited to, to have you on. So tell me a little bit about maybe your first powerful transformation and maybe all of the failed transformations leading up to it. Is there one that sticks out to you in your mind? Yeah. I mean, my weight loss was probably the biggest in the first, um, I had been overweight since I was about nine years old. So prior to nine, um, I lived in Alabama with my mom and my parents split up. But when we were down there, my mother made like literally minimum wage and was trying to raise two babies. And she was 17 when she had me and just struggled. And so we didn't eat a lot. Like, so (laughs) there was not a lot of opportunity to have a weight problem at that point. 
we moved to Nashville to move in with my grandparents to take, to make life easier for my mother and us. And um, I started gaining weight. My grandparents just showered us with food. I mean, South we eat anyway, but they like were constantly, um, you know, offering us food and wanting to feed us and stuff. And probably out of a little bit of guilt of like, you know, God, for like eight years, these babies haven't been able to, you know, have, you know, a regular meal and stuff. Well, I just ballooned up just like that and never looked back. So my whole life was a mat, like I ate in drive-thrus, we ate pizza. Um, My mom did not cook. Um, We went to buffets. So I just had no working knowledge of anything other than overeating. We, it was always conditioned in us to eat it all. We didn't know when we were going to get another meal or now that we have food, we just wanted to eat all of it because we didn't have enough at one point. But then in my late twenties, um, and, and like you, I don't know if you've had depression, but I imagine that (laughs) like when you, I didn't know I had it, but yeah, well, I, in my, when I was 17, I attempted suicide and was in a coma for a day and was in a hospital for a few weeks and really suffered with depression. And then in my late twenties, when I had my son, I went back through it again. And I knew that I was at a point where I was just at such a dark place. And if I did not do something, I knew what my alternative was. I had already been there once before and I knew the signs and it made sense to me that I needed to lead with my health. Like I needed to get, it wasn't that I wanted to lose weight to feel better, but I wanted to lose weight because I felt the physical drain and the emotional drain it was causing me every single day. And it was now affecting my child. And so I just got off my couch the next morning and decided that I was going to do something a little bit better every day and that I was never going to do anything to lose weight that I didn't think I could do for the rest of my life. So I took really small steps. And through that, I ended up over 18 months losing 100 pounds, changing the relationship with myself. Um, the Losing 100 pounds is great. But for me, what really happened, I transformed how I thought about me. I transformed the way I would talk to myself. I transformed uh, a lot of language, like rather than focusing on things I wasn't good at and how much I'd messed up and all this other stuff. I started focusing on what I could control, what I could do, what I was doing right. I practiced being proud of myself because I'd never done that before. By the time I lost my weight, I had transformed like the body, but I really had transformed the like inner relationship that I had with myself for the first time I could actually, I could look at myself and be proud rather than look at myself. And this is like, I had lost weight before I had lost 75 pounds over and over and over again, but I would look at myself and I wouldn't be proud. I would be worried. I would never keep it off. I'd be scared. I was going to screw it up. And this was the first time that when I looked at it, I was going to feeling pride and assuring myself this is who we are now. Like, so it was that whole mental transformation that happened for me and my weight loss. That was like the first significant one. Yeah. I I can relate in a lot of ways. I was doing the contest with bodybuilding.com and I reached a point where I came home and by the end of the day, all the emotions are out, hungry, angry, lonely, tired, stressed, bored, all the stuff. And the negative self-talk would just hit. And I had no idea. And one day it just hit me like, why are, would you talk to anybody else like you do right now? Right. 
And I, th- I think I kind of hear that in what you're saying too, where it was like, okay, I might be scared of what's at the end of the 75 pounds, but how are we going to do it differently and so forth? I want to kind of go back to the dark stuff. This yeah. is, this was not a, an intentional thing, but I think it's important to talk about. Um, I, I mean, was there something that led up to that specifically? Um, like my coming, suicide attempt? Yeah. Yeah. Coming out of it. What, what would you like to share there? And, and what yeah. do you see now? Um, I think like, there's lots of things when I was, um, I don't think I was ever incredibly happy when I was younger. Um, my, when my parents split up and, and I have a good relationship with my dad now, like, I mean, we talk, I don't, I don't sit around and think like, what a shitty father. Like, I really don't. I legit know that my parents were so young, 17 and 16 having babies. I mean, I look at my son who's 18 and I think, Like Logan could have a one-year-old and, and I'm I see, 39 and I don't know what I'm doing. Like, Oh geez. And yeah. I, but I look at him and I'm thinking that's the emotional like point that my parents were at. So I just uh, like, I, I have a lot of understanding as to why like my dad just like literally checked out. Like it yeah. just, he just wasn't for him. Um, but so I had abandonment there in school. I was so bullied for my weight. Like, day in and day out torture kind of stuff. And in high school, I was, I was still overweight, but I had a boyfriend. And when I got to my, we dated from my freshman year to my senior year at the start of our senior year, um, he cheated on me and we broke up. And I think that that was like an important point when my depression really started taking over. I think I had just at that point, couldn't escape a thought that I'm not good enough for anyone that the world would be better off without me. Like, like here's all the people that's never wanted me. Um, here are the people that like the people in my life who did love me. Well, here's all the evidence I have that, that they don't really want me. And I spent uh, nine months writing every single day about how worthless I was, how much I hated myself. Like, you know, talk about the worst kind of journaling ever, but like, I was just like locking in that identity every single day. And my mother's day of my senior year that I I attempted suicide mother's day. And it was just, um, I think that has a lot to do with it. Um, and then when I had my son, you know, I was, I have an amazing husband. We've been married 20 years but it was really hard on me. I had always been a worker. I had always like had purpose in my life. And I think when I had my son, it was number one, it was very overwhelming to me, the lack of sleep. Like my son did not sleep. I mean, just didn't. We went 18 months before he ever slept through the night. And he normally woke up about anywhere from like about five times a night. So like I was just drained and I know how unhealthy that is. Plus I was eating my face off. So no nutrients and stuff. And he was just a high demand baby. He, um, eventually at five, we, he was diagnosed with autism that first year I was doing the same thing. I was self-loathing all the time. I was thinking about how, like, just how hard it was for me. Um, I, he wouldn't ride in a car, so we couldn't go anywhere. And just, I always felt so trapped. And I just knew that that one day, that if I didn't like, I literally, it was, I was sitting on my couch one day, the price is right was on the television. It was like 10 o'clock in the morning and he wanted to play with me 
And I said out loud, mommy is too tired to play. And it hit me like a ton of bricks because I remember hating that my mother would never do stuff with us, but I didn't realize she didn't have the opportunity. You know, she was always working and she was legit tired when she was at home. Like I was just out of shape and depressed and laying there trying to eat my way through life and avoid all of it. And I never wanted to be that mother. And it was just like a reckoning for me. And that my husband came home that night and I just looked at him and said, I was balling like I am. I was balling actually way harder. And I just said, something has to change. I can't keep doing this. I'm going to figure out weight loss. I don't know what I'm going to do, but that's what I'm going to do. And he just said, whatever you need to do, babe, just do it. But I I spent the next day thinking about it and I knew I couldn't start a diet. I just, I tried so many times and failed. And so I just thought, I'm just going to start with some easy stuff. I got to start with some, a few things that I know I can do. I can't afford to make mistakes because I'll beat myself up over it. Like I knew what my limits were. And so I operated at a way where I could avoid like tapping myself out, but meet myself at a place where I could make some progress. And so I just started making lots of small changes. And, but for me, I think the reason why my journey was so important was because I know how it feels to feel hopeless and despair and at your bottom And throughout losing weight, I would notice when I would say things like a good example is I would weigh in. And if I had a stall, I had this one period where I'd stalled out for a few weeks and I told myself like, it's not going to happen. It's like, if you're working this hard, you might as well just go back to eating. And in that moment, I was like, no, that is what I've always told myself. Like old me thought that way. That's never going to work. You're doing too good and you're feeling too good right now to stop moving forward. So just keep going. It'll get it. I'm sure the scale will move at some point, but you moving forward is what will make it go down. You stopping will go back to where you were. So there were these moments where I was noticing when the old me would try to pipe up and talk and I would just read right and say, no. We got to think like a new version of us. The new version of us has to think about the things she can do more than the things she can't be doing. Yeah. I, I remember one of my points of being a catalyst was uh, working three jobs, being exhausted, trying to recover from two big financial setbacks, feeling bankrupt emotionally, financially, relationally, all the things. And I had trained my kids to stop asking to go play. And I, I couldn't look at myself in the mirror. Like I, I was having a really, really hard time with myself. And I had reached a similar point where they stopped asking and I was so relieved. And then once I noticed I had trained them to stop asking me, that's when it hit. I was like, yep. what am I doing? And I, I hear your story here. And I'm, I'm just so fascinated by how you put it together for yourself, I think. I'm sure you had influences and other outside resources, but no, I'm fascinated too. (laughs) I tell people all the time. I'm like, I didn't even know that I had done thought work until 10 years after I had lost my weight. Yeah. It's crazy. I, so I don't know. This is, this is like total on the whim. Like I love this stuff. I don't know where God fits in this with you, but for me, I look back and 
I have a phrase, connect the dots backwards. Mm -hmm. And I just think he's laughing. Like, look at all the connections we have made together. Look at all the lessons. Look at all the chaos and the mess and the beauty and the space you have for other people and the empathy and all of that pain and BS was totally, absolutely 100% worth it. Even overcoming pornography on my own and talking myself through my own dark night where I had a pistol in my hand and a voice literally said, finish it, let's be done. And I had this huge rush of not even darkness, just total energy come over me that was exhilarating and just the whole process. And so, you know, I remember hitting my point of, man, my kids don't even ask to play anymore. Going to work at the gym, I spent four and a half hours there, literally in a book, just like writing down all the stuff that had worked for me, all the people in my life that had motivated me, all the things that I wanted and what I was going to do. And I had seen people break out and I was just blown away that it could be done. But I was still like, okay, you're not necessarily at the bottom, but you're at the bottom. And so then you come across coaching and you look back and you're like, (laughs) all of that was available to me. Like Mm -hmm. I did all that, not on my own. Like I like to give credit to God. And if he fits in with your life, I would love to hear about that. But then you get into coaching and now it's just like rock star gal. Like when people come into your program, you're just hitting them with all this stuff and it totally accelerates the progress. Mm -hmm. It's like, look at all the pain and the investments I've made here you go. How long can you hang in there? But kind of giving it back to you, did do you see God fitting into that? What do you give credit to you navigating all this, you know, on your own? What what do you think? Yeah, I mean, so I grew up Catholic. I went to literally went to Catholic school from kindergarten all the way through high school. But one of the reasons why we were always so broke is if my mom was making minimum wage working two to three jobs, she was determined that we would go to private school because she had went to a wow. small county school in Alabama yeah. and didn't get an education. And she she was always so afraid we wouldn't go to college. She wanted yeah. us to go to college bad, but she was like, I for sure want you to have a good education if you come, if you, if all you do is ever go to high school, which is all I ever did. Yeah. Um, my brother went on to college. I had a full ride and blew it. Like I just was like, I'm out. Like after, so one little piece of the story that I didn't tell We're is like that, twins, just a few years apart, but keep yes. Going. Well, I, when I graduated from high school, right after my suicide attempt, I ran off and eloped with a guy that I'd been dating for a few months. And Perfect. Seems, yeah, it was seems fun an amazing way to blow your life up. Well, sure. and he yeah. was so interested in the PlayStation that, oh, wow. you know, yeah, somebody, that's... we had to eat. That meant Corinne got a job and left college, <laughs> you know, right, right. but it all worked out in the end. Sure. I, like, yep. you know, but I, I mean, yeah, I do. I don't talk a lot about my, my faith, um, but I definitely believe in God. Um, I pray. Yeah. I, I do all that stuff. I, I don't go to church, but I do pray a lot. I, totally believe in God. And I do think that there's a hand at play. I mean, I think about how easy it would have been for me to go other ways. And I didn't, I think that I'm very much someone who always believes that like I have a mission and a purpose in this life and it was given to me, you know, Yeah. especially with my son, when you talk about religion, um, that's probably where 
that comes into play the most is my husband and I have talked often about um, not many people can have a, a child with autism or a disability or something along those lines. Um, very special people are given those opportunities because it's a lot to handle. I mean, it just does a lot to handle. And so yeah. I've always kind of believed that, you know, that I was given him for that reason because he, God knew I would be able to handle it. God knew that Chris and I together could. So, I mean, that's kind of where my religion comes yeah. into play, I would say. No, absolutely beautiful. And I, I love just faith and the spirit and the influence and just any, any of the feel goods. Like I'm, I'm all about it. I would echo that you and your son and your husband are, all of us are special, but it is amazing that as we come together, we're all teaching each other. I have five kids. We have another one due next cool. week. So if you want to trade six for one, maybe we could make a deal. No, <laughs> no, it's a, it's an easy no, Glenn. Like he's almost 19. Chris and I are just like, Oh, Oh, we made it. <laughs> yeah. Well, basically this is yeah. the first summer that he's, um, he's staying home by himself. He's, uh, yeah. he's high functioning. he's just done so well. Yeah. And, um, this year we've gone out of town and he's practicing being an adult. He's been yeah. using our trips to be at home and, you know, learn how right. to take care of the cats, learn how to take care of himself and, you know, right. and feel confident being home by himself. So, but we're just like, Oh my gosh, did you ever think this day would come? Yeah. <laughs> like it's yeah. still so amazing to us. And, you know, I, I believe it'll keep getting better and better and he'll continue oh, yeah. to grow and grow. Oh yeah. Um, for sure. What are some of the craziest diets you've heard about? Kind of these fad banana soup, cabbage soup, peanut butter and jelly. What like what? They, what they have are you heard all about? out there. Uh, yeah. Well, if I haven't heard of them, I've done them. <laughs> <laughs> you you made them up, yeah? Or no? I'd like. Have you ever heard of the military diet where you no. like basically so MREs for three, or something? No, for three days you eat things like a, a grapefruit and a hot dog, and then for lunch you have like a scoop of ice cream with crackers. I mean, it's just like this weird combination right. of foods you eat for three days. And then for four days, you get to eat whatever you want. And so yeah, that sounds I used to, very effective. I, yeah. it Yeah. Well, I kicked my week off many a time back in the day with that one. Yeah. Um, but no, I've done a bunch of them. There's like my whole opinion on most diets is anything that sounds too good to be true probably is yeah. anything that you look at it and think, well, like that'll get my weight off and then I'll figure out how I'm going to eat. That's a no. The way that I approach weight loss is you really have to do the things that you are going to do the rest of your life because maintenance is all about putting on rinse and repeat what you did to get your weight off. No. Maintenance, the best way to not maintain is to end your diet. And like most people, what they do is they'll lose weight a certain way that they have that they know is really hard for them, that they know yeah. takes basically a, a miracle from God in order for their days to go well enough for them Grind, to execute. discipline, yeah. head to the rock, let's go. Yeah. Right, and nobody wants to do that the rest of their life. So you want to be able to lose your weight in a way that it, where it becomes your lifestyle, becomes seamless, and it becomes the backdrop of your life so that you're living your life. You're not just, you know, trying to diet and then have a life. So, right, you know, right. I just really teach people, you know, really think about what you're going to do before you do it and make right. sure that it fits and that this is what you really want for yourself because you'll be doing it for the rest of your life. Right. And I think that sounds overwhelming. I, I remember hearing the word lifestyle 
make it a lifestyle. Like when I was trying to play the 50, 60 pound game mm-hmm. and I had no idea what that meant. Like it just seemed a mission impossible to me. Um, and uh, yeah, it's, it's hard. So what metrics do you give your clients so that they can separate the number on the scale, but still see that they're making prog- progress? How do you track things, but then disconnect from the emotions of what all those numbers mean or triple digits. And this is the end game. This is what we're doing for our whole life. Like, do you have a, a process mm-hmm. in place that you like would like to share? Yeah. So um, like inside my membership, we have our own planner and stuff. And our planner is all about the mental journey you're going to go on. So like, I've got it all staged where you don't just like put in your stats and you don't just like track your behaviors and stuff, but there's questions all the time. There's, I'm always asking prompting questions every single day. It makes you think, it makes you examine your thinking and it makes you create new thinking that's going to take you through weight loss. So when it comes to the scale, we have them, we, we do have them weigh once a week, but we ask them about their thoughts about it. And then we work on making sure that are these the kind of thoughts that are going to carry you through another right. week or is these the kind of thoughts that are self-loathing and deprecating and you know whatever. Then we also ask them about like behavioral stuff that's leading to that number. So when we track metrics, we're having our clients not just track the number. Success is not I always tell people your weight each week like the real success comes from your actions of the week. Like the weight can't happen without the actions. So what we want to do is we want to spend more time identifying like the goal this week is to have this many food plans made. The goal is to have this many meals this week that I only ate when I'm hungry. And the goal is this many times this week, I drink my water. So we do a lot of what we call just behavioral tracking. And we put all of our emphasis there because I tell everybody, if you'll focus on that and we keep working towards you know, what are the little things we're going to work on? What are the things we're going to move the needle for next week? What got in the way this week? How are we going to think about it? When we work on all that, the number on the scale works out. And then we're just dealing with natural fluctuations and stuff. But I think what we do in the diet and Weight Watchers kind of is like the original gangster on this offender, which is you weigh in each week and nope. It's like, if you weighed in and you lost weight, they're like, oh, you must've done a good job. I got people who can lose weight each week and be a butthole to themselves all week long. So that doesn't necessarily mean you did a good job. It could mean you starved. It could mean a million things. Or if you gained weight, then they like, what happened? You must've been bad this week. And that doesn't like a body doesn't lose weight that way. And you might've been doing amazing and they don't even give you the opportunity. So we have to watch all of those things. And so it's a lot of deconditioning. What does the number mean? What are your habits telling you? Like, what are those metrics telling you? Does that look like something you want to keep? Like, if you keep doing this, will it help? If it won't, let's autocorrect here. So yeah. that's what we do. No, absolutely. And I, I've uh, worked with professional athletes myself and helped a lot of people lose weight. And that's what we focus on too. Kind of that win the day. Here's our non-negotiables. And then how do we improve those non-negotiables? And when we miss them, just take a look at it. I mean, third person, step outside, try to leave the judgment and the shame and the blame and all the stuff, and then just look at it. Um, I like tracking weight, waist, body fat. Um, a lot of men have body composition changes. So if they're mm-hmm. only tracking the scale and I'm pushing them real hard with the weights or whatever, 
they're going to put on mass, hopefully lose a little too. And if all we're following is a scale, we, we get lost really, really quick, but yes. there's, I'm just amazed at how simple this process is and how complicated we make it. Right. And, and obviously that's 10 years of playing this game. You've got a decade or two playing it too. Um, where does, where does the thought of uh, just the name of this podcast transformation stacking? What do you, what comes to mind or what do you think of, of that little phrase? Transformation stacking. I would say, well, it's all, it reminds me of habit stacking. I mean, when you think about, I would say like stacking transformative thinking, like when I think about transfer, like transformation can't happen unless there's a transformation of the mind. Like a lot of us think that like, to me, the outside represents, you know, all the work that I've done on the inside. And so like, if you think about transformation stacking, it's like, all right, so what is, what are all the beliefs? What are all the thoughts that we need to stack? to keep getting us closer and closer to that version of us that we want to be. And so looking for those small things. And and I try to teach my clients all the time. We kind of reverse engineer it. We start thinking about like the future self-concept. Like, I don't like to just set a goal weight. Like I'm fine if they want to do that, but I didn't lose weight setting a goal weight. I didn't even think about a goal weight until I was over 50 pounds in before I even entertained the idea of like, Hey, I think I might be able to, you know, lose all my weight. I don't know. Sure. Because it's not that important. Like I wanted, I knew the person I wanted to be. Like when I was sitting around, I was always thinking about being the active mommy. I wanted to be active. I wanted Logan, I could tell was going to be active as I'll get out. I bet my child to this day gets in 15,000 steps a day. He is a pacer and a walker. Like (laughs) wearing the carpet out. Yeah. He goes through shoes like that. So I knew the person that I wanted to be. I knew the, like the things I wanted to be doing, the clothes I wanted to be wearing, the feelings I wanted about myself. And so I try to take people and say like, all right, if that's who you want to be, let's take the 300 pound version of you right now. What is that, that she's got, like, what are these transformative thoughts? What has she got to stop thinking now? And what does she have to start introducing in her life as a possible thought. Because I think that that is what helps people get to the end is that in weight loss in particular, we are so sold on the idea that we're going to be happy when we lose weight. Right. And I promise all of you, if you lose all your weight, you will have moments when you're happy. You will be proud of yourself. There will be automatic feelings and triggers that happen. But if you don't learn how to quit nitpicking your body and you don't learn how to feel in control around food on the way there, you're going to be in a thin body with all your insecurities, all your nitpicking, and all of those habits. Nobody needs to lose weight and still be miserable. So we need to change that as we go down and not rely on the number to solve all of our insecurities because it won't. And And so I I think that's what I think about. I know like as a man and going back to my old self, I would have been, this is so lame. Like, like this is so woo woo. My, like my brain couldn't have even handled (laughs) any of this. But as I'm hearing you now with the perspective I have and my own experience of watching clients, I'm like, this is, this is totally the way if we'll slow down and do a little bit of work every day, every week, where, where has coaching come into your life in terms of putting the real meat to all that you have done 
like when were you introduced to it? Who was your first? Like where yeah. are you going with it now? So I had I had like therapy essentially for the first part of my life. I've always been in and out of psychiatrists and therapists because I had such depression, but nothing really happened. Like after after my 30s, I didn't really see a therapist anymore, but I was seeing um like just my life changing. And I feel like I was like my own best influence for a while. Then probably after I'd, after I'd lost my weight, I started reading some books, um, just like success habit books, you know, just your typical yeah. self-development. But I didn't get introduced to coaching at all until 2015. So I lost weight in 2007, started a business. Then in 2015, um, I came across the Life Coach School podcast. Um, I mean, she's in, in the 300s. I started listening in the thirties. <laughs> like it was like, what is this lady saying? Like, right. like it was starting to make sense. It was so interesting. So I went and got certified that year. I'd listened to the podcast for a couple months and she opened up a certification and I knew in my mind that I needed this to teach my clients because I was like, she's got the frameworks. I had been coaching them in email and in forums. I'd been talking to them, but I didn't, all I could do was like, say, you like, don't think that way. What are you saying? Like, think this, like, I really wasn't, I didn't have coaching chops, but I did know how to relate emotionally and mentally with my people. And I really wanted to go in that direction. And so once I graduated from um, the life coach school, it was an eight day in person at that time. I changed everything I was doing in my business. I told them like, Hey, we're going to do thought work now. Like we're, we're going to, we're going to conquer the mental beast. And that's all we're working on. I'm going to teach you guys control around food, control around your mind, control around your body and stuff, but it's got to start in your mind. Like, like there's no more exercise plans coming y'all. There's no more meal plans coming. We're, we're deleting it all. And this is what we'll be doing. So it, but it made sense to me because when I was there, these light bulbs were going off of Corinne, this is how you lost your weight. You have to quit teaching people what you did. You have to start teaching them what you thought and how you thought. And you got to start explaining that because yeah. no one's doing that right now. And back then no one was doing it. No, so, they weren't. Yeah. No. And I, I think uh, for those who are fitness and health experts, we can give the 39 things you got to do to, to make it. And along the way, we get interrupted by our thoughts and our behaviors and our patterns and all the things. So I want to kind of put a bow on this for people. Um, Most of my listeners are men. Most of your listeners are gals. Um, what What are some ways that spouses can support each other through this when one wants to do it and the other one doesn't? Or how do we keep going when maybe we don't have that support? Or what are what are you seeing with your with your clients now, and and how can the men join? I think like so. I think it's important. One of the I, I do teach this a lot because especially like right now we're getting ready to open, and of course the, one of the biggest objections people have is no one in my life gets it. Like my like my spouse does not want to change. They've watched me diet all my life, and they know like the day is coming, and I just tell them like we're not taking away their food. You need to go the best way to like, as the person who's going to lose weight, the best way to support other people is to reassure them that, Hey, this time I'm doing it differently. And I don't want any of you to change anything you're doing. You have to get really strong in this idea of it's time I work on me and I quit 
hoping and praying that everybody around me does things differently so that I don't have to be afraid I'm going to break my diet. Like yeah. we got to end that. Yeah. So I always talk to my, the people who are fixing to attempt weight loss first and just say, they don't need to change how they eat for you to change how you eat. We can learn a new way and it will be a lot easier on you than you think it is. If you don't sit there mad, angry, upset, and like frustrated that, you know, well, they're eating this and they're doing that. They should be. If we drop all that, so much of your weight loss becomes easier automatically. For the partner who's going to be the one supporting the other, the one going on the weight loss journey, just be there. Like you don't have to, like I always tell partners, you don't have to change all the things at all, but just sometimes just saying something like you're doing good. Like I'm so proud of you. Little words of affirmation. Yeah. Yeah. Like little words of affirmation and stuff. If you want to change every now, like if you know, let's say your wife like loves the French fries and French fries are hard. If you go out to eat and you really like, and you're okay with it, want to support her, order a baked potato. Like, you know, like we just make the support thing such a big deal. Um, And I also tell, this is another component that's important. Very often what we do in relationships is we assume no one cares. We assume like, oh, they'll be upset or we assume, we just assume a lot. And then when I really push someone and say like, what what do you think your husband's going to say? What do you think your wife's going to say? Like, well, well, I know they really want this for me. It's so separating out what is actual lack of support and what is what you imagine is happening. Because a lot of times we're lying to ourselves about it just because we're afraid to start. So we create some smoke and mirror. Um, They don't support me. This will upset them. This is going to do all this other stuff. And I will tell you the the majority of the time when I push people on it, it's not even true. The vast majority of us who are married are literally married to people who love us. I know that sounds like crazy talk. The Few percentage are married to people who don't love them. For those people, like, let's get you in a community online. Like, just like, if you want to stay with them, stay with them. But no, this is how you support. You're going to learn to support yourself and you're going to find an outside source. But most people actually have support. They're just building up a wall because they don't believe they can do it. So they create a lot of things that aren't even true in their life. And it it keeps us all so safe, right? Yeah. And we got to pass the buck and the blame on everybody else. Mm -hmm. And it it keeps us stuck. I have, uh, I know we're short on time and coming up on it. Um, I have a really fun question for you that deals with maybe how has your health journey, uh, I call it be dumb enough, like be dumb enough to try and think that you can. And so I'm, I'm curious what you would have to say, like what's on the other side of someone's big and possible health journey for them and kind of, kind of give your story as to like, what in the world am I doing now with my life? Like this is way beyond anything of my, my wildest dreams. At least that's how I feel already. But, but what's on the other side for people, if they can hang in there, self-confidence and all that. Yeah. I, I think for me, like what, what has been amazing that's been on the other side of weight loss is like just believing in myself, 
you know, I spent so many years not believing in myself. I spent so many years, like, like I think the most astonishing thing is I did something that I was absolutely convinced could never happen. Like, I think a lot of us spend our lives avoiding doing things because we've just at some point decided, ah, that's not for me. Ah, I'm not good enough. I'm not smart enough. I've never been able to lose weight. I've never been to college. Like we, we say all these things like they're legitimate, valid reasons why we can't pursue something. And I mean, I, I just, it, it still even astonishes, astonishes me that I literally would have thought I was destined to be fat for the rest of my life. I probably wrote it down hundreds and hundreds of times in journals from the age of nine on. Which is that, way more powerful than just thinking it. Like, Yeah. Like, like convinced yeah. as if it was in the Bible, you know, like yeah. God said, you know, Corinne shall be fat the rest of her life. Right. And I like was able to prove myself wrong. Yeah. So like that is the thing I think is on the other side is whenever you go after something big, whether it's your weight loss, I mean, building a business, raising a child with a disability, all the things, it's this idea that <laughs> we're probably wrong about most of it. Yeah. Don't be so convinced your bull crap is true. Yep. Yep. You guys, Corinne, um, thank you. Thank you so much. She has a, uh, a free program, take uh, control challenge.com. I want you to go there. Um, take control of food, take control of time, take control of your finances. And the plot twist is it's probably going to be all about taking control of your mind with food as the vehicle. What, what can you tell us about take, take control challenge.com? So it's running. Uh, it actually, the challenge starts tomorrow and it runs for a week. So if you miss the challenge, you can always go to nobsfreecourse.com and to get my normal free course. But this challenge is all about each and every day, we're going to learn how to take control of like how to stop eating at enough. How do you take control of hunger? How do you take control of your whys for losing weight? A lot of us sit around and think of all the reasons why we can't. And we need to start thinking more reasons about why we can. Um, so it's a week of really clearing out a lot of the mental crap that gets in the way that allows us to feel so out of control with our mouth, our food, and our lives. And so by the end of the week, you'll realize how much more control you actually really do have. You'll leave with simple, if nothing else, you'll leave with simple ways to start taking control of food, to start practicing. But I bet you'll feel 10 pounds lighter by the end of the week, because you'll have such a new perspective on what's really getting in the way of your weight loss and what you absolutely have control over and what you can be doing about it. This is uh, the opportunity for you guys. This is not a uh, improve what you've already been doing. This is like, you're the horse reaching over the fence, trying to find the greener grass. And there is an incredible hope when you jump over and just take the new opportunity. So I challenge you guys to do that. Where else can we find you, Corinne? Uh, the Losing 100 Pounds podcast every oh, Friday. Yes. I'm there. Okay. <laughs> okay. You're probably on all the social media sites as well. All, yeah. IG. It's a Corinne underscore Crabtree on Instagram. Facebook is, I think it's actually changing right now. So I won't give that one out. But sure. if you look up Corinne Crabtree, you can find you'll me. Find I'm, me. I'm everywhere. Look up cool. no BS, weight loss. You'll find me. <laughs> She's nationwide. She's worldwide. Thanks. Thanks, Corinne. You guys. Um, I've gotten a lot of takeaways. This, this episode went in totally different directions. I had a whole nother list of questions. Um, I think it went perfect exactly where it was supposed to go. 
You guys, Transforming Your Life is available to you anytime. Um, I'm a big believer that if you want to accelerate your progress, maybe even shorten the time. I mean, there really is no rush, but we're all in a rush, I know. So if you want to stack your next transformation with Corinne, like she's an amazing, obviously uh, very tremendously successful help helping other people get what they want. So check out Corinne's podcast, Losing 100 Pounds. And uh, thanks for your time, guys. Talk to you soon. Hey, everyone. Real quick, we want to invite you to a one-on-one consultation with Glenn. If you're looking for extra support to take your transformation to the next level, then let's get you scheduled. Glenn is a lot more like you than you could ever imagine. He's been there, where you are right now. Time is precious, especially if you've got kids. They need you at your best. Your wife needs you to step it up. And to be honest, you need to make this happen for you. If you think you're ready, then I want you to go to glennlovelace.com and book your one-on-one call. Remember, Glenn always says, your goal is my goal. And when things get overwhelming, lean on his favorite reminder that progress creates happiness.